G'day mates, it's me John, pedaling from Sydney back to London, uh, currently in Australia. Just pedaled from Melbourne over to the Grampians, went south a little bit, came north a little bit. Uh, and just having a few days off now before I'm going to head to Adelaide. So um, if you're in Adelaide, give me a shout actually because uh, it'd be cool to hang out and meet up and talk to people there as well. Um, before then I head, head off across to Perth. Um, also Australia is massive. Jesus Christ guys, this, this place is absolutely... You feel like you've done a big old uh, session for a week and you look at the map and you've hardly covered a tiny portion of Australia. Anyway, on the subject of bikepacking, on the subject of riding bikes across big distances, this show is pretty much building up to an epic thing, which is Hayden from uh, The Peddler, brand manager there. We caught up and talked about the race he's about to go and do, which is the Silk Road Mountain Race. It starts on the 17th of August, um, and they have until the 31st of August to complete it. Uh, it's a 1,700-kilometer race with 27,000 meters of climbing. <laughs> 27,000 meters of climbing. Oh, fuck. Um, and this this race is epic. I mean, it's literally... I think there's there's probably all the big-time bikepacking racing people have gone over there to go and race in this event. Um, so it, it, it's a full-pack crowd of, of all the the names within bikepacking if you're into this world you'll probably know more than i do but i just know from just instagram and stuff that some of the epic race people are going out there to do this race so he's there with a big field of of talented people uh, who are going to race this um and if you want to if you want to actually before you even listen to the podcast just go to silk road mountain race website uh, they've got a, a an embedded video called wild horses and it's documenting the leaders from the first race they did last year so this is the second time they're doing it this year first time last year uh, and this documentary is totally worth watching because it really gives you a feel for the conditions that are out there and just think like imagine racing on a different planet you know racing on mars and just completely barren landscapes uh, conditions that are changing all the time uh, racing up gravel passes over mountains of, of one of these probably twenty-seven thousand meters of climbing um it, it's absolutely I guess the the other end of, of bikepacking where it's it's extreme, it's racing, it's it's in the toughest conditions, in the toughest place. Um, and Hayden's kind of taken us through everything really. So if you're really geeky into bikepacking stuff, you're gonna love this because he talks about training, the gear he's got, um, how he's gonna approach the race, how he trains, how he's got his own life in, in, in a certain routine at the moment to, to work on this race. Um, and it goes really in depth. Uh, also, check out the show notes as well because there's a full bike list, uh, bike packing kind of list of stuff in there as well. Everything that he's got from the uh, from the waterproof socks to the type of gear in the ratio he's going to be having, or um, some of the, the the bags and the even the custom made tent and or, or the bivy bag and the um, sleeping bag as well, made by a really talented guy in Melbourne. So check that out, listen to that, uh, and it'll be a full on kind of in-depth chat about preparing for this race and i'm pretty excited to actually do that because he's going to go on and do it and you can follow him along and see how he's doing he has literally just flown out he's probably on a flight right now uh to the destination to prepare and, and acclimatize and get ready um so wish him luck go on to go check out his instagram as well um you'll have everything in the show to, to give you that and um yeah just support this guy doing this epic race um i'm totally kind of excited for him i want him to finish and i want him to do really well um in this race there's not many people that do finish uh, is that tough so um 
So enjoy the show and, and don't forget to check out the show notes. Don't forget to follow me at Pilling Podcast Instagram, uh, also PillingPodcast.com as well. Um, and enjoy the show talking with Hayden. So Hayden, what's what's your plan, bro? Start off, Hayden. Welcome to a Pelling Podcast Show. John, thanks so much for have, having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So where are we now? Uh, we're outside Peddler H HQ, lovely known as the uh, Local Loops Cycling Club in Collingwood, Victoria. Yeah, yeah. So this is so describe what the Peddler is first, just so people know. Um, so the Peddler's a high-performance cycling uh, apparel brand for all intents and purposes. Uh, been around since 2015 as such. We've been online only for, for quite a while now, such as this day and age with e- e-commerce. You can be quite a small lean op- operation and kind, kind of still distribute wealth while being on, online. But as of January this year, um, 2019, we've got our physical space now. And it's so wonderful to, to have our own clubhouse. Our, we've got the head office out the back, our own flagship retail space. And it's, it's transformed into, into this kind of collaborative space with a cafe here. We've got a spin room. And to, to create this little kind of community is, mm. is just wonderful to kind of get different community groups in. Cool. It's really fun. Well, we're not here to talk about Peddler just yet. We can do that <laughs> another time. Certainly. But we're going to talk about well the bike we're standing in front of now, and also the event you're about to go and do. Oh yeah. Let's talk about the event first because what you're about to do is an event that's only it's a bike packing event that's only been around. This is the second year they've yes. done it, right? So correct. Kind of describe, give the numbers first, like the mileage. All the, right, yeah, that's where people get pretty scared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so the Silk Road Mountain Race. Um, it's this is the second year it's run. It's running. Uh, runs at in Kyrgyzstan. So Central Asian country, uh, west of China, north of Afghanistan, just for geographic reasons. Um, About 1,700 kilometers with 28,000 meters of elevation gain. Um, So it's not flat, certainly not. Um, With, compared to other ultra endurance events, though those numbers aren't, aren't unique, I'd say compared to the transcontinental and Trans Am and stuff, it is probably comparable. The, the unique um, aspect of this race and the main reason why I was attracted to it is the, is the environment and the level of self, self-sufficiency required. Um, so being summer o- over there, it's pretty hot. So lower elevations around, around town and stuff, it's probably 35 degrees Celsius, so 80, 90 Fahrenheit. Holy. But um, with quite a few passes over 4,000 meters elevation, um, you you go uh, above the snow line. And guys, last last year slept out in negative 12 degrees Celsius, fuck, which is what probably five, ten degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. And when we're talking remote, I've seen the pictures of some of these. I mean, a lot of people didn't even finish the the race last um, year. From what yeah. I- um, so, what was probably a scary point for quite a few and a big kind of pull for, for me for, for whatever reason was I it's got a 20 something percent finish rate that it was 28 29 percent of the starters mm. last year actually finished it which is just nuts and uh, the, the, some of the pictures I saw from last year when I saw people doing it and saw the the conditions I mean we're looking at pretty like totally remote stuff like I was watching this one uh, section where they were climbing up a mountain pass and it was there was nothing there there was low cloud you couldn't see anything um, 
if you want to be racing somewhere where there's nothing going on, I mean, absolutely, like like you're racing on Mars kind of yeah. thing. That's that's what these things look like. <laughs> yeah, it's middle of no nowhere. And look, that um, cen Central Asia and. Tibetan plateau that that whole region as such technically is is the most remote place on earth with re, with regards to kind of resources and near the ocean and everything it's such an isolated part of the, of the world so um, uh, so you're racing on Mars yep. um, you've got you know lack of resources around you it's it's up there with some of the hardest uh, races around bikepacking ones yep. why are you doing it to the experience I'd say the beautiful thing about bikepacking and this ultra endurance racing world as such is that there's an enormous range of, of events and they all suit different people. So compared to say the Indian Pacific wheel race from Perth to Sydney here in, Austri in, in Australia, that's very road focused. And if I was a, a road road rider and, and liked staring at the uh, white line for 5,000 kilometers, it sounds perfect. And that's logistically easier. And I think that's probably 80% physical challenge. Something like, like this, like the Silk, like the, the Silk Road and most of the, the more off-road events, they're about self-sufficiency and they're about kind of tackling the, the elements. And I think it it's more about where where you are and really kind of thriving in that in that environment you could have the strongest legs in the in, in the world and you can still scratch on on day one in events like this so basically you want to put yourself in the worst conditions and see what happens sure what you're yeah well why not <laughs> so what about the experience like how much experience do you need to be able to do this kind of race like have you, have you done kind of remote races before have you done like long distance stuff before with regards to to racing not not a whole lot in saying that though i think that uh, i think calling it the silk road Ma mountain race is uh, kind of false as, as such because even though it, it is competitive and it, and it is timed you know everyone doing events like this aren't aren't kind of looking at the guy next to them the, the, the whole time this is a challenge this is a personal challenge to see what what you're capable of and and how you you can survive this t terrain <laughs> so how um, can you survive that is the race the race to survive that's yeah, what you're exactly saying it, exactly it um so most of my my experience here comes from more kind of traditional outdoor outdoor pursuits so um i was a rock climber and a backcountry skier for for a long time um mountaineering and ice climbing was a big part of my life for a few years there and looking back on it, mountaineering is very similar to ultra racing because you get getting two to three hours sleep a night. You're on the on the move for 20 hours a day. You're getting sun and snow and wind and rain, and you've just got to cop it. Mm. And you're completely exposed to, to the elements. And it's a concept of moving fast and and light that I really kind of thrive on. So whether that's climbing, whether that's trail running, whether that's riding a bike, I love the concept of having a self-sufficient setup and stripping it back, back to the essentials and moving fast over a variety of rugged terrain. Okay, talking about rugged terrain, you're gonna take this bike we're looking at right now over that rugged terrain. Certainly am. Um, do you want to take us through kind of what's going on here? Because there's a lot of stuff going on. And the, the reason why I wanted to talk about this bike particularly because it's 
it includes a lot of what's going on in Melbourne, which is cool. Yep. You've got a lot of stuff that's custom made for your spec. Yep. Um, so we can talk through that. But um, I mean, we can start by talking about the actual setup you've got. So the actual bike itself, yeah, um, sure. why you chose it, what it's going to do for you. Alrighty. So to put things in, in context, because I think, you know, the actual race itself and the um, terrain is really important. Even though it's super remote, so the Silk Road mountain, mountain race, the vast majority of the uh, ter terrain is dirt roads. And it's kind of double track or fa fairly groomed dirt and gravel. So we're not t talking serious single track here. I, I, I don't need a full mountain bike set, set up, dual suspension and everything like, like that. I need, some, I need something comfortable and, and tough, but it's still gonna be pretty efficient on a, a flat surface as such so so the frame is a curved gxr affectionately known as kevin so um a titanium frame and it falls within that um adventure category as such so it can take up to 700 by 45 or if, if you're running it like i am you'll, you'll run a 27 inch mountain bike bike rims with a 2.1 inch rubber so I'm running um, carb, carb, carbon curve 27 inch dirt hoops rims. Absolutely amazing, super tough with 27 by 2.1 inch Vittoria Mezcal tires, which uh, will, will be fairly familiar to most uh, cross country races. Um, you'll see quite a few, few guys in this kind, kind of um, ultra racing sphere opting for a cross country tire purely because they're nice and uh, big big volume, but with a, a low profile tread. So they still run fast, which is lovely. Let's talk about the um, the hub you've got at the front end. So you've got a... Yep, so... So you've got the same Dynamo hub as me. Um, yep. What's your, what's your kind of thoughts on the, the, the charge capacity of this? Is it gonna be enough to get everything kind of charged up as oh, you go? Certainly, certainly. Um, now, the two main school, schools of thought when it come, comes to charging for any kind of event or any kind of long distance ride, whether, whether racing or, or otherwise, is your two options are a, a Dynamo hub, which is a mini generator in, in the front hub, which powers things, or uh, using a, a power bank as such. Um, I spent four months touring uh, across Europe with, uh, with a power bank, and I'm sick of it. I, I hate it. It's, so you're it talking about well. like a, a power bank that you charge when you get yep. to like a hotel? Yeah, so it's like a effectively just a really big rechargeable battery. Because at the moment I have both of set up. So I have yep. the hub and the yep. power bank. And so I'm charging the power too, bank as well. And I'll, and I'll get to that in, okay. a, in a second. But a power bank works really well for, for rides up to kind of 24, 48 hours tops. They do work really well, but, but you've got to recharge them. And, and if that power bank gets wet or if it stuffs up, it's game over. And a lot of dialing in, in this setup is trying to predict worst case scenario and trying to be, be like, well, if, if something critical fails here, what backups do I have? So the hub works really, really well, but it's connected to a, a power bank. So I'm charging that. Mm. So through the hub, I'm charging uh, my phone and, and, and my Garmin for um, GPS SUs plus lights and the power bank attached to, to that acts as a backup 
which works really well. Okay, cool. So that's the that's the frame, the bike, the kind of setup. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the 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 bags then, because these bags you've got made here are looking fresh. <laughs> these <laughs> they are, are like fresh, shiny, this is brand new. Yeah, beautiful looking just, canvas. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm looking at it thinking I want to <laughs> give it a give it a kick or something just oh, to get some mud on it. I know, I know, right? It's a filthy mud, muddy, dirty bike. I've, I've been training all week on it, and it's got brand new bike backing bags. It looks a bit bit odd uh, but these are from stealth so the beautiful thing about about the bikepacking industry is that it's uh, spawned so many so many little co little cottage industries and little retailers here that that are making their own bags and frames and everything else and it's all very niche and very specialized now and I've been really fortunate to work to work with uh, stealth who are who are based in Wellington in uh, New Zealand being half half Kiwi myself, I, I couldn't resist to kind of look after the lo the local guys and um, and Mike fr from Stealth has been an absolute pleasure to work with. Lovely man, um, and it's good quality, simple, super durable stuff, and that's mm. all I'm after. Um, some really smart features with regards to um, cable cable ports and the materials used. And the uh, custom frame bag I've got is just wonderful with regards to mounting options. And it's got a Velcro floor. The internal divider there is actually Velcro, so I can open it up. So it can be one compartment or two right. compartments. Um, just really smart features. So in terms of like bike packing bags, I mean, it's still kind of a new thing to me, but what I've kind of noticed is the frame bag is probably the one piece that most people customize or if you're going to get something customized the frame bag seems to be the way to go because every geometry frame is different whereas exactly. the saddle bag and the um the hard the front harness bag is kind of is kind of quite standardized oh, certainly can but let's talk about the front harness then so um so just describe kind of what what it is that this setup is because there's different types and it's kind of what i learned when i first started to bike pack is there is different types and the, the one i started with was an alp kit kind of a out front kind of harness which is yep. quite flat against the bars and it's more for mountain bike yep. and then I realize what we're looking at now is the one that you've got which is the similar one that I've got as well yep. which is kind of like a, a roll holder kind of yep. bag. Yep. So yeah as you said basically two two categories as, as such one is a, a modular system which includes something like, like this which is a harness so what, so what I've got is a uh, 20 litre dry bag which in, which includes my my sleeping setup my whole s sleeping setups in this 20 litre dry bag and, and interestingly on the dry bag side yep. of things I only know I only thought about this recently but my dry bag has got two rolls on either end yep and it wasn't until recently that someone mentioned to me actually you don't even need the one end of it if you have no roll on one end you'll get more space if that audio yeah, makes oh, sense it's you know. easier to to pack so a modular setup like like this which is a dry bag that is attached to, to the bike by a harness which is effectively two straps for all intensive purposes it allows me, me to easily take that that dry bag off having having drop bars even though they are quite quite wide if you've got to come in from the side with a typical um, handlebar bar roll say from Apitura or something that I'm quite used used to works well for for mountain bikes with flat bars but on a drop bar the harness is a million times easier because the, the dry bag comes directly mm. out so um, yeah really really simple modular system too I can 
chuck more things in there. Um, it's simple. And and the beauty of this is having my, my own dryer bag is, so my whole sleep sit, my whole sleeping system is, is in there. So that's a, a bivy bag, sleeping mat, and a sleeping quilt. I've got everything. And they're actually all, all packed in, inside of each other too. So I've got, I can, I can be in bed asleep within probably 60 seconds max okay. of me stopping. It's pretty good. So it's quite fast. Okay, we'll come on to the um, sleeping stuff in a moment. Yeah, we'll, sure. we'll, we'll stick to stealth um, because what you've got sleeping wise is super interesting. Um, and actually what I find interesting is you've got the sleeping stuff in the front. For me, I've got the sleeping stuff in the back yeah. um, and the clothes in the front. Um, I'm not sure why I did that. I think because I got more room in the front and then everything stuffs better in the back, but I'm uh, interested yeah, in how cool. I can switch things around yeah. to be quicker. And look, I don't think there's there's no rule here. And 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 you know, look, having having toured a lot and having having done so many overnight night trips and tried a a variety of set of setups, there's no one right way to do this. And I think um, the best way to kind of, kind of categorize where your stuff stuff goes comes from the weight and and the density of it as such. So in your frame bag and and, and your top tube bag, anything close to, to the center of, of the bike should be the really dense, heavy things, because that's where the center of of gravity is. That's not going to affect your steering or, or or your handling as as much. So in there is my uh, repair kits, my all my mat, mat, metal things, you know, multi-tools and stuff, and my food, really dense things. My kitchen setup lives in, in there. It's the heavy things. In the front, that handlebar bar roll is my sleeping stuff because it's fairly light, but it's quite, it's quite large. Especially a, a synthetic insulation quilt is huge, mm. super light, but it's actually really big. So therefore to have something, I've, I've got a lot of room up the front here, but it doesn't affect my steering much because it is super light. And then everything else lives in the, um, in the seat pack. So okay. that's all clothing. So is there any kind of specific spec you've got for the seat pack that you, uh, you, you put together for stealth? Um, no. So, so the beautiful thing about stealth is that even though they offer, they offer custom frame bags and, and Mike's been really innovative with some of his um, designs, especially the seat packs, there's, there's a really good kind of standard range as such. And having stock on hand means I, I didn't have to have, have to wait three months for stuff and actually had options to, to, to choose from. So this is the pack horse, I, I believe. So it's an eight, eight to 10 liter seat pack. Um, and it's, it's, it's a simple roll top design, similar to your classic Appy, Appy Dura bags or anything like, like that, um, except it's a lot more re reinforced. So lots of non-slip material where it comes in, in contact with the seat post and, and the saddle and it and it, it's a thick thousand denier nylon so it's it's still pretty light i was actually surprised when i first got these just how light they are but they are industrial quality really thick tough buckles which are the first things to really fall apart from experience 
So really solid hard hardware, really solid attachments and material choice is just So there's firm. a few things I've noticed already, like there's no swing or hardly any swing. My, my outkit swings a lot. And yeah. also underneath the bottom of this saddlebag, there's a hardened case, which yep. seems to kind of hold it firmly in place, which is pretty yep. pretty interesting. Yep. So uh, and also having these bungee cords at the top. Oh, Dream. Perfect. That's for easy access layers on, on top. That bungee cord is the greatest thing in the world and I'm actually shattered. There's, there's none on, on the front harness there because that's where, that's where your snacks go, that's where your uh, rain jacket lives. If it looks like it might rain, easy access layers that need to sit on that. And similar to a hiking pack, I kind of, kind of like like they do bike packing bags, that its value come, comes from how much, how much stuff that, that doesn't just, just fit inside of it, but on it and around it, and you can really customize it depending on what you need. It's gotta be versatile. Cool, we'll have a quick break a sec, so I can just quickly uh, double check the, the lines. Make sure we're still working. Get the crack. So, um, do you want me to go through component choice and stuff like that? I can really dive into that. If, yeah, we'll go, um, just check your phone. Um, yeah, so we'll go, we'll talk about the, it's your phone. Putting out your phone, on my <laughs> phone. Um, yeah, we'll go through the obviously the sleeping setup. Yeah, cool. We're all still good here. Cool, sweet. Twenty minutes in. Um, yeah, so we can go through. Okay, we'll so obviously talk about setup, this. Yeah, talk about the sleeping setup. That's kind that's, of a really cool yeah, thing to talk about. Custom stuff. Um, pretty cool. And you go for component choice, and then um, and then we'll go back onto the uh, the race a little bit and just talk about like we'll go into like a how you see riding it maybe? Yeah, cool. You know, how this is gonna sure. ride it and stuff? Cause that'll be like the close of no the, the kind of combo, Do you want me to focus on, on the race race itself or more kind of training for it or? Oh yeah, we'll jump on training as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but just jump in and just talk about other stuff as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit have, of everything. Have fun um, with it. Okay, so that's bags done. Um, what about, let's talk about, a little bit about the light then, because I know this yeah, is uh, oh, something that's pretty special. Oh, one of my favorite parts of, of this whole thing. Um, so the, one of my key kind of focuses with building this setup wasn't just that it, that, that it was a um, no compromise high, high performance spec, but to actually get to work with, with local businesses. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a real advocate for, for Australian made and, and if you, if you choose local, you've got a much closer relationship. Case in point is my front light. So made by K K Light, um, which is a um, a bike pack bike packing light charging maker. As such, Kerry his name is Kerry's Lights K Light. Um, lovely man lives in uh, Newcastle, just out of Sydney. And the I'm running the the bike packer mountain bike version. So it's a 1400 luma, lumen wide angle dynamo light. This thing is insane. It's like a spotlight. Um, to put things in, in, in context, I've, I, I shred single track in the middle of the night, pitch, pitch black and I can see everything. Like way out, way out, out wide. So doing turns and everything, you've got full vision. Um, so there's actually two wide angle spotlights. So, so there's three lights. 
So the two on the uh, sides are really wide angle and then, then the center guy, which kicks in when you're doing about 15K an hour, is a super, super spotlight. And if anyone needs pictures of this, there's going to be pictures online as well. Yep. So you can just quickly look at them and see exactly what we're talking about. Um, because I didn't notice this is, this is around quite a lot in Melbourne. I've noticed quite a few people riding with this. Yep. Um, uh, so when we talk about lights, I mean, when we typically look at, think about lights with a bike, you think, oh, it's just for awareness when you're on the road. But what you're going to be doing, there's going to be no cars around. So this is purely right. for what? I've got to be able to, to actually see. At night. So you're yep. going to be pushing through the night. Yep. Yep. About. So, yep. So the whole concept of, of races like this, or even just long long distance riding, is you don't stop when it gets gets dark. You don't stop when it starts raining. You don't stop when it starts s s snowing, or when you, you're tired. You just d don't stop. So you've got to be be prepared for worst case scenario. I think I might create that T-shirt. Don't <laughs> stop, Hayden. It's pretty, just don't. Pretty stop. simple. Um, so the the confidence good quality lights give you when it's 3 a.m. and there's and there's a rough piece of road and you've got to be able to to avoid potholes and everything especially going down downhill trying to ride gravel roads downhill at 50k an hour middle of the night when you're tired um, you've got to be able to see things okay so that I would I would pay twice as much as I as I did for that light that's how much I love it mm. and it's brilliant and and I actually crashed on a on a training ride about about a month ago, and I and I snapped one of the cables in in, in here. Working with a local a local biz, business, I just sent it back to Kerry. Said, "Hey, hey, mate, can you fix her up?" And bang, looked after. And it's that and it's that relationship you've got got with people. That's everything. So when we talked about the rear light before. Um Obviously, that's a USB light. You've got you're gonna charge, but you obviously don't need I, that because you're yeah, not gonna be real light. There's where... there's no cars. It's 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 fine. I'll definitely carry something just for safety purposes around town. But yeah, it's pretty much just your front light. Let's talk about something a little bit special then. Um, let's talk about what's in this bag here, which oh, yep. is all your sleeping equipment. <sighs> it's prob prob probably my favorite part of the of, of the whole system. Um, I'm a notoriously fussy sleeper. Like even even at home, I'm an absolute princess, and I need the perfect environment to get a, a good night's sleep. Um, there's a real kind of um, I'd say habit within the kind of ultra racing racing community to really half-ass your sleeping setup, and there's a lot lot of uh, tough guys sleeping on a uh, closed cell foam and no sleeping bag and all this kind of. And I understand the concept of, re of really shaving weight, but that's the only recovery time you really get. And even if you're only sleeping, you know, five, six hours, hours a night, that's, that's a quarter of your, of your entire race desperately trying to, to recover and you're half-assing that. And, you know, for, for a few days, fair enough. And I'm quite happy to not sleep and do big rides, but for longer term races, like I'm plan, planning for 10 days, two weeks here, I've got to look after my, myself. So that's why sleeping well, having a, a good sleep system is so, so crucial. So it's split into three, three parts. Two are completely custom and one is off, off the shelf. The off the shelf option is, is, is my sleeping mat, which is a Cedar Summit ultralight insulated. 
They've got a really good color code system, so it's the orange mat. Mm. Um, weighs 480 grams. It's got an R value, R value of uh, 4.8 off the top of my head, which is the kind of thermal resistance. So to put things in in context, uh, snow camping with that with that mat, I don't actually actually get too cold. So it does kind of pr protect you from the ground well. Mm -hmm. So and that's that's, nice. that's I mean talking about the sleeping mat, that's kind of quite interesting thing because when I first looked into it, I was like I could just sleep on the floor, sleep on oh, something there. But actually, you don't realise how much um, how much heat you lose oh, through your body when you're insane. actually sleeping. Um, I mean, I noticed with just the outkit one I've got, which is very much just holding air, so lifting you off the ground. Yep. But what you're saying, yours is actually layered with a bit of thermal in there as uh, well. Yeah, so so there's a, actually a tiny bit bit of of insulation in there, which is great. And and, and you know, coming coming from from alpine pursuits, I'm really aware how how critical it is. You need to stay stay warm while sleeping, especially around snow. And I'm expecting snow on, on the Silk Road. So, but but hey, that's that's the mat. Pretty straightforward. Great, great value option. Option two, it's probably the perfect all-round sleeping mat. But the fun stuff comes in with the rest of it. So coming back to low to local businesses, I've had the absolute pleasure of working with Evan from Terra Ro Terra Rossa, which is a a local Mel Melbourne business, and they and they make custom outdoor gear. So. Um, tarps and tents and sleeping bags and all kinds of kinds of stuff and as a as a self-confessed textile nerd i love playing with fab with with fabrics and, and materials it was an absolute dream come true to work on this so what i've i've got my sleeping quilt so it's not a bag it's a quilt which is effectively just a uh, rectangular sleeping bag with a lot with a lot of uh, straps un uh, under it so I can cinch it into a really tight shape as such to kind of close in. That's really important for me because I sleep like a starfish. I like to open up so I, so I can pop a leg out or if it's hot, I can open it up because keep, keep in mind, big temperature range. So when you say it's not a sleeping bag, you mean it's not got a zip on it so you can't no, you no zip. squeeze into it? Yep, which is great because zips fail, you know, zips aren't kind of completely bulletproof so it's a super so it's much lighter too weighs 500 and something grams max um, really light the key thing here with, with it is that it's made from from synthetic fill so climber shield apex um, now synthetic fill as opposed to a down bag which most people will be will be used to is synthetic fill can get completely wet and it still maintains 90 something percent of its warmth it's a much more robust fiber. So if I fall in a in in a river on the uh, trip and th things get get soaked, I'll still stay warm. Down's pretty much useless once it's soaked. So that's that's a really kind of important part of this, especially when there's water and snow in, involved. Um, it's all it's also a reinforced fabric too. Everything about about this, even though super light, is a is a tougher material than I could have gotten purely so I, I can just throw things around and so middle of the race I'm, I'm tired I just need to get in the get in there keep keep my shoes on it's fine just hop in there everything I'm, I'm wear, wearing and it won't fall apart so the sleeping quilt and the uh, and the mat live inside a bivy bag which is is effectively a waterproof sleeping bag 
as such. So it's kind of, what I've built isn't quite a bivy bag, but it's closer to a one person tent as, as such. So it's, it's perfectly shaped for my, for my size. So it's, you know, five foot 10, five, 11 tall, this, this bag. And it, there's, there's a uh, tent pole that lives in there. So I've got a bit of headroom in there it's a hundred percent waterproof it's all sealed in really breathable material there's a uh, mesh kind of fly net on on it but also a a storm flap that comes over the top too which makes it really really versatile because i i, I as much as i need something that works perfectly for this trip i want to be able to to do weekend camping trips with it too and take take it on other other rides summer trips and stuff too so, so just with the with the BV slash uh, sleeping bag, I mean tent. Um, just so people understand how it actually looks, because I know what it looks like. You know what it's yeah. like, but it's kind of like how would you describe it as kind of like a almost like sliding into a, a coffin, for example. Sure. You know, whereas the <laughs> the, the, the top head section has this is for it. Yes. You know. So let's, let's hope it isn't a coffin. Look, it's a big waterproof sock. It's a big black waterproof sock. With a with with a tent pole in the head end of, of it, so you've got a bit of room. Mm. It's it's entirely black. It's really stealthy. I love it. Um, and I know from 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 when I was thinking about this trip, my trip, um, yeah. and what to go for, tent to go for. You know, there's yeah. so much to think about. Is is it the price? Is it the 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 space you've got inside? Is it like is it the the space it takes when you pack it down? You know, there's so many different choices you can make, and I think. I think for me, the first thing was budget, you know, what is the budget I've got? And Certainly. then you kind of work within that. Um, but kind of as I'm going, you kind of learn stuff as you go. Like what you've got is probably something more, I think I would prefer, you know, but actually what I've got is something where you can sit up inside, you can actually do some things if you need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it kind of like, I noticed everyone's got a different particular taste and style and, and, and it's not until you really get something and start using it that you find out that actually something doesn't quite of work. Course, of course, and uh, look, it's to put things in perspective where I've ended ended up now with, with, my set, with my setup. This is after four months non-stop bikepacking across Europe, ultra, ultra light, carrying less stuff than, than this, super light for four months, plus a weekend trip. For, for the last kind of six months or, or so, always, always out. It's been over 200 days with bike pack, packing bags and gear and playing with this, with this uh, stuff. And I've made some stupid gear decisions and I've kind of played around with it. And I think the worst mistake you can make here is to, be, is to um, assume there's, own, there's only one way to, to to do it. And, mm. and because one pers person has chosen this or, or that, that that's the, the right way and it's just not it's I love the kind of individuality of it and the expression I guess from from creating your your own setup that's unique to you and and to your environment and what you're up to and I don't expect other guys on the on the race to have a similar setup because that they've got different experiences and, and comfort levels but the important thing is that is that I'm comfortable with this, and I know everything on this setup, like like the back of my hand, and and I trust it. 
Yeah. And that's I, the important thing. I think that is the interesting thing about the bike packing world is that everyone's got such a unique, different kind of setup. Everything works for someone differently. I mean, yep. that's why you kind of see these sites where it's like the, you know the top ten kind of bike packing uh, rigs set up for these <laughs> races. Um, it's quite interesting. But going on to the race itself, then, like, so what? What are your what are your plans? I mean, well, how are you training? How do you go about oh, preparing okay. for something like this? Um, you were also an, an early riser, right? Oh God, no. I I sleep in. I love sleepings more than any anyone else in the entire world. If I could sleep until till midday every every day, I would be happy. I hate getting up early, but I've been up at five six a.m. every every day for the past six months training for, for this. Just because you 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 have to, you've got to em embrace morning morning starts. Um, I've I've been really fortunate here here in Melbourne to be, to be around quite a few experienced bike packers, main, mainly from the Curve crew. So you, you know, uh, Ryan, Adam, Jesse, Sarah—they're just a, a wealth of, of, of knowledge. But also, I think it's it's quite easy to get sucked into the um, how kind of fun bike packing is and how much like hey the only way way to train for a for, for a long ride is just to do long long rides you know and i don't think that's that's true at all i've i've been really fortunate to work with an with, with an amazing uh coach todd cuthbert who's a um national national level mountain biker amazing amazing guy was gonna go to the uh, world world championships until he broke his ankle um but to learn to train like like a normal cyclist i think is the smartest way because it's so refined as such so most of my focus has been based around just getting strong you know get strong go long really easy so lots of hills i'm on the trainer three three days a week indoor train tra trainer low cadence work i'm very comfortable doing doing 40 rpm up a hill that's what my legs are made made, uh, made for, and as uh, Todd Todd says, you just build that build that diesel engine. You know, you're, you're just chugging along. It's not it's it's not about you know having a massive VO2 max and you know watts per kilo and all, all this super data driven stuff. It's quite simple simple that if you've got strong legs, you've you've got more more fatigue resistant legs, and every hill takes less out of you uh, out of you. That, that is the most surprising thing that I found when I first started riding with this rigged up, and that was literally just when I left Sydney. I started riding. The weight of it, you don't realise until you start hitting some sort of climb. You, f you forget actually, like, uh, you know, cycling is all about momentum and pushing your own weight. So yeah. when you go up a hill, you've suddenly got like your own body weight plus the bike, plus all the gear on top of it, and you're pushing everything. And yep. Yep. suddenly you start going backwards yeah, and you're like, shit. Nuts. And, and look, I, I haven't weighed this thing this this thing yet you know titan titanium's not super light and these aren't super light bags i'd say the weight set, set set up as i'm looking at it right now with water and food is probably 20 to 23 kilos as as a rough guide um but it works and that's why i've i've got super low gearing i've got i've got a 32 tooth chain chain ring and a Tenta 42 SRAM cassette on the back and that's a really good climbing gear 
and I've been up 25% stuff in this and I won't get, get out of the saddle. That's, that's how well it works mm. and that's, and, and that's the, the concept that you can just chug along up, up these big hills. So what about you know, the day-to-day -day race itself? Well, do you have anything, any thoughts in your head about how you're gonna do it? Because everyone, from what I've noticed, you know, bikepacking race people seem to have a slightly different way of doing certain things. Some people gain time, lose time doing yeah, different certainly. things. So kind of describe what your, what your yeah. vision for like yeah. a day in the life <laughs> of racing. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm a big advocate for sleep and, and rest and actually getting good quality re recovery time. So I'm kind of aiming for five hours of sleep a night, six hours of, of, of sleep, which is a lot, you know, compared to some of the, these, these guys. Hey. Um, and it's not un, uncommon for guys, um, the really kind of at the pointy end of, of the race, for guys to get three hours of sleep a night or to not sleep for the last couple of days and just push on, on, on through. And I think for, for a road-based event, I think that's fine because it's, it's less technical. For this, there's, it's dirt and it's off-road off and there's river crossings. And my, my goal, first and foremost here, above winning the damn, the damn thing or, what, or whatever pace or kind of position I get, my goal, first and foremost here, is to minimize human error. Long story short, don't make stupid mistakes because I haven't eaten enough or, or I haven't slept enough and it would be worse for me for me to make a stupid mistake and to get a flat or to uh, crash or something than, than it would be to come last. I've, I've, I've got no e ego. Yeah. So, you know. So, so you're going to have gonna sleep well. good sleeps. Yeah. I mean, are you going to be able to sleep? I mean, how, you're, you're spending like the whole day on the bike, yep. you finish, and then yep. you're going to open up, you're going to put your tent. You know, how easy is it going to be to like just actually go to sleep? You know, because well, you're probably- Well, when, when, when you're tired, it's pretty easy. <laughs> I've slept in some funny places. I've slept in, in bushes and out the front of the gas stations and under a house once and you, you just get, get, get used to it. That's the life. But the plan is you're up with the, with, with the sun um, up at 6 a.m. and I'll go to bed at probably 2 or 3 a.m. You know, depend, depending on, on how I feel. So to ride through the night, you, you get tired, you jump, jump in bed. Mm. Okay, and then how about like food, supplies? Um, you've got to be constantly eating, you know, it's just mechanical. And I love to, to, to eat. I eat like a horse, it's bloody great normally, but it definitely wears away at you when you're constantly eating for, you know, days on end. Um, one of the logistical challenges with the Silk Road Mountain, Mountain Race is that how, how few resupply points there, there are. So there are three manned checkpoints that, that you've got to kind of follow. It's a fixed route course, but there are three kind of checkpoints you've got to go through. But um, the actual towns and resupply supply points are only every two or three, three days. So for a 10 to 14 day race, you don't have a, a, a lot of, of time. So that's why I've opted for a full frame bag and that's why it was so important that, that I can carry a bit of uh, water 
and stuff so I can really load up when I'm in these towns. So I've got, I've got a, a kitchen set up, I've, I've got a, um, a canister stove, my trusty MSR pocket rocket which works, works well, a, a Cedar Sun collapsible pot which, which works well, it all fits in there so I can boil water up. Um, you've got to have hot food. There mm. is just the morale boost you get is just so important. Um, so, you know, when you're freezing cold and you're tired and you've, you've been on the bike for eight, eight hours and, and you're sick of it, to just sit down and have a cup of tea and, and a freeze-dried meal or some, something, it does a world of good for you. So I don't care how much weight it adds, it's essential to have a good hot meal. So there's one item you're missing in there. There's something else you're missing. Yeah. Every, every bike packer seems to have it. Even the guy who, who won this last year, when I watched the video, he was eating the thing the whole way. And even I was on the way down here. Jar of peanut butter. <laughs> Everyone's got a jar of peanut butter. It's like the uh, staple diet of a bike packing. It's, it's classic, isn't, isn't it? In the, in the bottle cage too. They're perfectly sized for it. <laughs> and look, I'll, cer I'll certainly pick things up. And you know, pe peanut butter is the perfect endurance food because it's full of fat and, and protein. It's essential. I love dairy. I have so much chocolate milk and, and stuff when I ride long distances. It's just per perfect because it works on that, on that same principle. Lots of uh, fat, sugar and protein. So like a, like a big kid riding around, yeah. sleeping for five hours. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, let's, let's finish up, talk about this, uh, this little GPS spot uh, tracker device spot then, tracker. because this is kind of like quite important. I don't have one of these, yep. um, but you do, and maybe just explain kind of why you've got it, what it's gonna do. Yeah, certainly. And okay, so from an electronics point, point of view, I'm, I'm only bringing three things. So I've got my iPhone 7, which will which will run Kamut and a, a variety of kind of um, route mapping apps, so it, it, it's all through there. I've got a Garmin Edge 820, which is for general data tracking plus extra, um, the, the, the route will be kind of mapped in, in there. And then the spot track is the insurance policy. They're actually mandatory for this race and for most ultra races, actually, you have to have one. Um, it's not a satellite phone. I can't call someone up. I can't text people as such, but it's a really simple, durable option as an, as an SOS beacon. So that's during, during the race, that'll be constant, constantly sending my signal up and you can actually jump, on, jump online and, and, and follow my, my tracker. So this whole concept of, of uh, dot watching is really big now with these ultra, ultra events because you can follow people in, in, in real time as they uh, move through. But yeah, allows me to kind of send an SOS signal and you, and you can actually put, um, uh, send a like a preset message to, to people be like, yep, cool, I'm, sa I'm, I'm safe, send that home, my mom's not freaking out, everyone wins. Yeah, yeah. So when people think you're sleeping for a long time, actually, they, you know, we need to check on you. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he hasn't moved, moved in, 20, in 24 hours. Ah, uh, 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 crap, you all right? Yeah. So, um, What's your, what's, your, what's your kind of like 
going into the race. So how long until it starts? So when do you, when do you fly out? Um, so the race starts August 17th. So fly out on August 12th. So plus transit and stuff. I'll be in the Bishkek, capital of Kyrgyzstan for, for about three days prior to the race, which is an, uh, enough time to get settled in and um, repack the bike and stuff and just not be stressing out because if, if there's travel to delays and everything else, um, quite a few races are actually over there already and especially some of those that, that, that are really competitive. So uh, I know Leo Wilcox and um, James Hayden and a few of the more kind of competitive, well-known ultra races are, are currently over there, which I think is a, is a really smart move to um, acclimatise. Um, living on the flattest continent on Earth, Australia, um, I'm not used to altitude. And so I think that's that's the real unknown here heading over. It's quite a few of the um, alpine passes in in the race are over 4,000 meters, which is over over twice as high as the highest mountain in in Australia. Okay. So it'll certainly add some some interest to it. Um, and you know, as much as as much as I wish I could have you know spent some time in an in an altitude chamber or have gone to 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 the Alps for, for a pre-race training camp or something, you may do with what you've got. Mm. But, from but it's a, still your first race doing this event, you know, so it, it, I'm sure it's not going to go away anytime soon. Oh, no, that's fine, you know. And, you know, altitude's a fickle thing and, you know, regardless of how experienced you are, you, you are with, with it, it can, it, it can still strike you down. So it's, it's still a pretty level playing field. As I said, my, my goal first and foremost here is just to minimise human error and to be um, comfortable and and confident with what I currently have. So with my personal fitness, with my with my equipment, with my clothing, with my sleeping setup, it's it's dialed in and I'm really comfortable with it, which is the the key thing here. So I can rock up to the start line and you know whether whether I come first. First or last, I want to make sure I'm I'm not making s stupid mistakes and that I'm having having fun and actually in, in enjoying this amazing part of the world I'm in. Mm. Yeah, well, I imagine you're probably not going to be enjoying it at the time of riding it. <laughs> uh, look, that's the plan. You know, I the first comment people people give when they hear hear about something like this is like, oh, it'll be torture, right? You're going to be hating. Ha it the entire time and I think from, from from an outside point of point of view the the whole concept of ultra endurance and these kind of long distance events is that it's so it's so masochistic and it's it's just pain but it's not not the case I there's a there's a very big difference between being fatigued and 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 suffering and suffering is a choice to be to be physically tired and sore, and to not have a, have enough food, and everything you know that's that's just a physical con condition as such. But you only suffer if you let that let, let let that get to your head. But there will be some moments, I imagine, where you will have to suffer because there'll be times when you're delayed. You want to get somewhere. You've got to push harder than you expected to, and so, all those kind of things can amount to kind of 
having to push yourself oh, to those areas certainly. just to be able to get to that point where there is food, there's water, oh, there's supplies certainly. and stuff. Yep. And the goal is, look, I'm not, I'm not scared of that. And you know, the beautiful thing is that part of this training hasn't just, just been physical, but it's been mental. And as I mentioned before, when my light cable, cable snapped, that was at 3 a.m. on an overnight training ride. And I was in the middle of, of, of nowhere. I had just crashed and I'm doing bush mechanics on this track in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, I can either sit and cry and be like, well, shit, my mum, come, come pick me up. Or it's, what can, what can I do here? How can I, how can I fix this? How can I, how can I keep moving? And if you've, if you've got something to focus on and if you can break, break down this monumental race, this monumental task into small, easily achievable steps, it's much easier to stomach. And I guess mum can't pick you up in the middle of no. nowhere <laughs> either. No, but so it's, you've just got to occupy yourself and so a lot of times time spent with 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 route mapping and it's like well I've just got a day one is I've got to get over over this this one one pass cool tick that tick that off and the checkpoints are coming up and I'll get to get to that and you know 1700 kilometers sounds like a really long way you know to um, drive that is a long a long trip, let alone riding it, but you're just breaking it down, and it's just these small, really achievable steps, and to have fun with it, and music and podcasts, and I'll bring a, um, a camera, and it's just going to soak in this incredible environment. I mean, I'm on, I'm on, I'm, I'm on Mars, right, riding my bike. Right? How amazing is this? <laughs> so. Goal cool. is, the goal is to have, have a fun, you know. So if someone wants to check out your your um, your whole journey as you go, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram at hey, where are you? H-A-Y, where are you? Um, everything's on there. My my goal isn't just to make things look pretty, but I love the, the education side of side of things. That's why I'm so happy, happy to be chatting to you. And, you know, I think, think there's, there's got to be resources out there to lower the, 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 the barriers to entry. And I think that the more I can talk about my set, my setup and, and what works works for me, and most importantly, how much fun I bloody have doing this, uh, this can hopefully get, get out there and it, do, it do, doesn't seem as intimidating, mm. which is, is cool. Okay, well, we'll definitely talk again when you've finished yeah, and see how exactly you feel on. whether mum did actually pick you up or not. <laughs> Um, but I guess, yeah, good luck. I'll, we'll take some photos now anyway, so everyone can see this uh, whole rig and what you've got set up, because I think it's super interesting. Bring it um, But yeah, good luck in three weeks time, four yeah. weeks time. John, thanks so much, mate. Um, if anyone has any, any more, more questions, please, please ask. Um, yeah, let's, best of, I, fingers crossed. Good luck, Hayden. Dude, seriously, man. Everything, every goodwill I can send you to, to, to succeed in this race, um, even just to be safe and actually get through the whole thing is, is 
It's something I'm hoping for you. Um, anyone else who's going to go and do one of these big epic races, get in touch. I'd love to talk to you. Uh, even pre-race and post-race and share kind of your uh, your thoughts on it as well. And, um, and don't forget, go online, check out the show notes if you want to see a big load of detail on his set, his rig. There's photos online as well. Also a big massive kit list as well you can check out. So next week's show, uh, well, next show, is going to be from... Dot Watcher. So if you watch DotWatchers.cc, uh, while on the trend of bikepacking, we talked about uh, everything to do with dots moving around. Grace, who leads the website, she does everything pretty much. She's, uh, you know, a small band of people that actually get this really interesting stuff out there. Um, so go and support those guys and wait for that show to come out, which will be me talking about GPS dots moving around on a map and people that run out in the middle of the day to cheer people on so um hot on the back of the bikepacking world that's growing we're going to talk dots cheers